Welcome to Sparks, a podcast from Ignium, designed to help you reignite your passion and drive your business forwards. So welcome to this podcast today, the second episode of a conversation I had with Alistair Walker. Alistair is a chartered financial planner and MD of Hanford, Aikenhead and Walker. And in our previous podcast, we talked about uh, the process in business of building value and focusing on not just where you are today, but where you want to go in the future. And how do you build value that will enable you to maintain the life and lifestyle you want in the future? Uh, what we talked about last time was around building value specifically from ground up and actually about putting systems in. And on the last, last podcast, we talked about uh, good habits and building good habits into your lifestyle. So in this podcast, I'd like to pick up with Alistair around the subject of, of syst- putting systems into place and systemizing your business and also systemizing your value generation to help you build that in the future. So welcome back, Alistair. Good to speak to you again. Yeah, good to be back. Thank you. So picking up on this subject of systems, um, tell me more about, you were mentioning about James Clear, and James Clear is a, who's one of my favorite, favorite authors of the last few years, writing his book, Atomic Habits. Uh, and you're right, he talked there about uh, everyone had an aspiration to win the bronze, silver, or gold medal. In fact, everyone had the aspiration of winning the gold medal, to be honest. Um, but the thing that set them apart was the habits they put in place and the systems that enabled them to do those things. Why don't you just tell me more about that? Yeah, definitely. It, it, it's a... I, you know, I, I really like the idea. I really like the model as well. Um, you know, this idea that 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 the winners and the losers, if you like, in this example, had the same goals. What set them apart was their systems. And he goes one step further and says the systems are driven by the identity uh, that the people have. Um, you know, how they see themselves. That leads to systems. And the systems lead to the outcomes. And he said you could almost leave the goals to one side. Yeah. And if you had the right identity in mind and the right systems in place, the goals would look after themselves. Um, and so for me, in my day job, um, I see people come come to me and they tend to have an idea of what their aspirations are and what their goals are. Okay. Um, initially, I talk about uh, we have a kind of a fog clearing exercise. So they know where they are today. They sort of have an idea of what and where and when they want to get. And we help clear the fog between mm here and there um, but actually clearing the fog is it, it you could analogize it a different way and say you know it's putting systems in place to get you there because chances are it isn't all just plain sailing from today and we need to know what systems do we need to put in place to get you there on a yeah. on a personal side and as i say when we've spoken before um you know you're it, it, it's a it's a sort of similar but different process when you're looking at, at the business as well yeah, yeah. And so, so, so one of the things you talked about previously was around uh, you know, setting this, this plan of the future. Um, and you mentioned about modeling. And you used the phrase that all models are wrong, which is key because actually a model is just a representation of reality. Um, but some models are, and I think you said some other models are more worthwhile than others. Yeah, some are useful. Some are useful. There we go. Um, so, so when you're building that model out and when you're helping people systemize their lifestyle, systemize their their planning, what is it the process you go through with them to help them achieve that and create something that's, that's useful? Yeah, so so the main thing is, um, is getting people to change the way they think about their finances in terms of their lifestyles. So we have a very visual model that says, you know, this is what the future looks like based on the best information we've got today. And that's a load of background work that we've done as a business. And it also has to reflect what they think their future is going to look like as well. Yeah. Um, 
and then we review it. And the regular review is the power. Um, I'm a big fan. There's a there's a great Mike, uh, more quotes again. I'm afraid there's a great Mike Tyson quote. You know, the famous scholar says everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> uh, and and rolling with the punches is a really important aspect of finances because you can build the best, most beautiful looking house of cards around your finances. Mm. If someone goes and knocks out the bottom layer of that house of cards and everything else tumbles down, mm. you know, what we need is, is, is robustness and regular review so that we can not just review, but also evolve. Mm. And so, um, you might, uh, I'm trying to think of a, of a, of a good example. There's a, gr- a great recent example, um, that's where a client came to me and said, I've, I've not been in touch the last couple of months because I've been working out buying a car and I've bought the car of my childhood dreams and it wasn't wildly expensive, but we're not talking Lamborghinis. Um, you know, but it was, it was, it was high tens of thousands of pounds more than I'd want to spend on a car in Mongo. And he said, and they've got a really strong desire to retire, uh, it, it, very early. So there we're targeting an age 52 retirement from a senior executive role, you know, fully retiring. It's another retirement to the coast. I mentioned that in the last episode. Yeah. Yeah. Different people, but it's a common aspiration. Um, uh, and, and actually in that email there's a really great nugget because it said, I know this is delaying the retirement plans by a year or two, but I think it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was, and, and that is a great example of how, when you start to think about these things in terms of your ability to earn, your ability to save, being a being a, a limited asset that you can deploy for your lifestyle today or in the future. Well, in this case, the client said, you know what, I want this now and I'm happy to accept, yeah. make an informed choice that that's going to affect the future. Yeah, I think that word choice comes in a lot, doesn't it? Because I have the same discussion with business owners around what they want to achieve from their business. And a lot of that conversation is around choice and helping people become aware of, actually, when you make a decision, you're making a choice. So let's just understand the context in which you're making that choice. And let's be clear about, okay, that's the right choice for now. Let's just do some scenario planning about what the impact of that choice is. And one of the biggest choices I often help people make is um, around finances and and time. So I found over the years that um, business owners set up their business for one of three reasons contextually. They either want more time, less stress, or more money. Simple as that. Now, most business owners are not getting that. They're typically earning less in the early days. They're more stressed in the early days, and they certainly have less time than they did when previously working for somebody else. So actually, the key is, how do you do that? What's the balance? And sometimes there's a balance between earning more and stress in their mind. And the key is to systemize the business, to enable them to uh, step away from the business more. Uh, and, and I come back to the, the book that my first accountant gave me in 2004. Uh, and she gave me Michael E. Gerber's book. And the Michael E. Gerber's book was The E-Myth Revisited. And in there, it talks specifically about the people who have an aspiration to run a business, but then slowly find themselves trapped in the business because they can't get out of it. And I often help people say, okay, what is it you want from it? Because if you, if you love chocolate and you become a chocolatier and that's what you want to do, one day you will end up hating chocolate with a passion because all you can do is run your business. And the key is to take the knowledge out of your head and systemize what's in there so you can get other people doing it for you. But it's a choice because some people want to be making the chocolate. They don't want to be running a business. Um, and it comes back to the, the, the story that's oft told for MBA students um, which I'll tell very briefly now, and you can look up in more detail later about the, uh, the I'll say Harvard MBA student who went to uh, the coast in Mexico and was watching the uh, the sunset one night, and he noticed a, a Mexican fisherman 
coming in his boat and unhauling his fish and uh, sitting down, watching the, the sun go down and then going off. And then the following day, he noticed the same fisherman coming back in again on all his fish and sitting by the beach. And uh, one day he plucked up the courage to go and talk to me. He said, look, I've noticed you coming in now every day with your fish. I've got a great idea. You seem to have lots of fish around. How about we take your fish and we, we help you train other fishermen to go and do the same thing so they can all bring their fish back. And then once they bring more fish in, we can help them to uh, set up the, the business on the shore here where we can actually set up the cannery and we can send those fish to the cannery, have them packaged and send them back to America where we can make more fish and, you know, you'll make more money. And uh, the fisherman said, and what would I do having any more money? And he said, well, at that stage, you can come back and you can sit on the beach and watch the sunset. And the Mexican fisherman turned around and says, but that's what I have today. I only have to go out and fish for five fish today and I can still sit and watch the, 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 the sunset in the evenings. Why would I want to change? And to me, it's that key choice. Do you want to be running a big business and earning lots of money and sitting on the beach? Or just is the lifestyle you've got today doing what you need? But either way, it's a choice at this point in time. You can do this one or this one understand it at this point does that make sense that's uh yeah and and you've just reminded me um uh, there's a there's a great um point that daniel Priestley makes uh in one of his books which is about yeah. um growth businesses versus lifestyle businesses yes yes and he says the, the the it is great either is great yeah. If you have a lifestyle business, it's fantastic. If you yeah. have a growth business, it's fantastic. But if you're telling everybody you have a lifestyle business, but it isn't giving you the lifestyle that you want, it isn't a lifestyle business. It's a growth business gone wrong. Yeah, love it. Yeah, um, and 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 that's the key, you know. And I and I I think I've been guilty of this before. I thought about what we do as perhaps being a lifestyle business conceptually, but actually it absolutely isn't because yeah. we're growing something and we're building something. Yeah. And that change in mindset to say actually, you know what, we're not um, we're not a lifestyle business. We want to provide lifestyle for our team. Team is very important in our mission statement, mm. but we also want to grow the business. Mm. So 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 one one thing you talked about previously. Uh, in our conversations around, around the word legacy. Uh, um, and I wonder how often do people come to you saying they want to leave or to create a legacy they can leave for other people? Legacy is a really interesting one. Uh, and, and again, this starts out as a financial discussion and often ends up being much more complex yeah, uh, because, and, and, and it's almost like an onion, you know, you peel back the layers. The first layer is people come and want to talk about tax and they want to talk about inheritance tax and the planning around inheritance tax. That's layer one. So we peel that layer away and we say, yep, you can you can avoid inheritance tax almost universally in the UK. Just give all your money away. <laughs> well, OK, no, but I don't want to do that. OK, so then we get to the next layer. You want to give away the beneficial ownership of the of the money, but you want to retain some control. Yes, actually, we do. We're worried about yeah, you know, this yeah. We're worried about this. Okay, so then we've peeled away the next layer of the onion, and then we're sort of saying, okay, so um, you, you know, where 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 on this spectrum of kind of control, uh, you know, versus retention and tax, do you sit? Mm, and then people mm. say, well, okay, I'm not sure. I'm just worried about whether whether the family members um, that I'm thinking of giving the money to are going to spend it wisely or in, in you know, in the same way that, that I'd want them to. Okay, so why are you giving it to them? Next layer of the onion peeled away. Oh, we yeah. never really thought about that. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and, and then we come to, a, to an idea that, that, I've, that I've mused about and I've talked to clients about, and I'm not sure anybody's gone and done it yet, but it's a great one. And that is the idea of having a, like a family constitution. Yes, um, yes. Tell me more about so, that. I'm a big fan of uh, of transparency in these things. Um, 
and again, this is only my opinion. People have plenty of good reasons not to be transparent about money with their family. I, I understand that. And I absolutely have clients who, who aren't interested in this. But for me, I would want everybody to know exactly what the situation was from day one. And then I'd want to sit down and have a big family discussion. Obviously, current restrictions um, would mean that would be over Zoom. But okay. uh, we'd have a you know big, big family discussion about what are the values that are important to this family and how do we deal with money and how do we deal with discussions about money? How do we deal with disagreements about money? And you write down some key action takeaways like you would with a business, like you might with a value statement for a business. You have a value statement for a family. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, legacy control worries can all be looked at in the context of how do we do money as a family? What is the family statement of values around these sorts of things? Yeah. So, so when you use that word, how do we do money in the family? I think that's really key, isn't it? We talked in the previous episode about you know, the difference between spending and saving and saving and spending. Is that what you mean by how do we do money? Um, yeah, in part. I think one of the really um, – so what there are a couple of really interesting things that come out of legacy when it comes to, to money, things that we hit on all the time with clients. Yeah. One – is expectations we believe others have of us without checking. Okay. And so we see this all the time. People say, um, oh, you know, I, 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 the kids are going to get the house and they know they're going to get the house and that's really important to them. Mm-hmm. And the first challenge, and, and, I, and I, you know, I don't tend to be quite as direct when I'm talking to clients, but this, this is the question is, how many, how many of your peers have you seen inherit the family home and do anything other with it, anything else with it, than sell it straight away? Because yeah. they aren't inheriting the house. That isn't, that isn't, it may well be important to them, mm. but it's an asset. And often it's the wrong time of life for people to move into it. Houses in this country don't tend to go down through families like that. Mm. And so actually what you're doing is you're just leaving them a portion of your estate and it could be any portion of your estate. That's interesting. And have you talked to them about that? And what's really interesting is, and, and that, that's the other thing, while the kids expect something, they expect inheritance. So have you talked to them about that? And I've had discussions with clients where they've come back and they've said, actually, you know what? They said, if you leave us with nothing but the contents of your jewelry box, and maybe yeah. not even that, you know, if you leave us with a couple of trinkets that are important to you, yeah. you've lived your best life for the next 25 years, yeah. go and do that. And, and, so, carry on. No, I was just going to say, so, that, so that, that, that's, the, that's the first thing, is people's expectations of, yeah. of themselves that they hold on behalf of others. Yeah, okay. Um, so so, so that, that's, um, that's the first point when we think about inheritances. Um, and then the other thing is concepts of fairness. And that, that leads into the same point, concepts of fairness, and how different, different people's concepts of fairness are. And that we particularly see that I particularly see that in family businesses. Okay. Uh, because so often some members of the family are more involved with the business than others, and the uh, you know the matriarch and patriarch of that business, the the heads of the family, yeah. tend to feel that on some level there needs to be an aspect of fairness between people involved in the business and people not involved. Mm. And that view on fairness linking into the first point is usually based on what they feel the expectations of other 
members of the family are rather yeah. than that being tested and them sitting around having a conversation about it. yeah and it's interesting it? because that feeling-based judgment about what people want rather than having that open conversation uh, and i think that's the type of thing that we could talk about another day in terms of you know how do you help people have that uh, open family conversation about the constitution because it's it's a subject which I think is really key, but really difficult to have. Uh, and especially when you think about how many generations wealth can last for. So when you think about a, a, a legacy, do people really want to leave it? And you often hear people say, I intend to leave the kids with nothing. I, I came from nothing, I'm going to nothing and the kids will get nothing. But actually, if you're trying to build a business and you want to create value in something that should be used for good, what else can you do with it? And I think this is where this word purpose comes in, which we work a lot with around, you know, what's the purpose of your business? And often money is an enabler for you to do good, whatever good means, whether it's providing employment, providing housing, providing education. Uh, and I'm a big believer in the, the UN sustainability goals. So for me, you mentioned education earlier. My view is education is key. If you educate people at root, grassroots level, you can start growing your way out of poverty, chain, making changes at grassroots. And to do that, yes, you need some money. You need some finances behind you to help you go and do it. You can fund other projects. And the best way of doing that is to be able to do that through your business so you can fund those other things. And if you create a legacy and big business big enough, you can start putting money into that. So, so often people have some uh, beliefs around money. Uh, and one of those you often hear out is money is the root of all evil. Whereas actually, if you flip that round of money is the root of all God, good, you can actually start doing some amazing good stuff with creating a legacy in your business that outlasts you and outlasts your family as well and carries on. Um, so, so look, we, we, we're going to come to the end of this this podcast, and again, we're going to uh, overrun. Um, I'd love to know just just your final thoughts on people's money habits in business, and what they what one or two tips they could take away from this that would help them change their habits and potentially change their future as a result of those habits. What would you suggest? Yeah, I think um, I, I mentioned uh, previously uh, when we talk to people who are thinking about about their business and thinking about their personal financial planning, we tend to find they're talking about it at the point it's too late to really have a big impact. Yeah. So I would say get strategic about your business's future way earlier than you think you should. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would start that discussion by getting strategic about your personal financial future. And the reason is one is inexorably linked with the other when you're in business. Yeah. And your if you can um so there's a the, the, in my sector, in my profession, there's a lot of talk about succession planning. Um, and the question, when should I start thinking about my succession planning? Mm. The answer to that is always 10 years earlier than you thought you should. Yeah. Um, because you need to put things in place today that you are going to allow you to reap to reap the rewards in the future. Yeah. And the biggest crit or the biggest sort of pushback I got on that is, yeah, but it's going to change. I don't know what I'm going to want in 10 years. And it's like, that's fine. That's why you review it regularly. Mm. But if you start with the end in mind, coming back to that, I think you said that right at the beginning of last yeah. podcast episode, you know, that great Stephen uh, Covey concept. Yeah. Um, you know, start thinking about these things way earlier than it feels sensible to. Yeah. And then you're not going to find yourself thinking, oh my gosh, it's too late to even start. Where do I get started? Yeah, I love that. I think that's a great bit of advice. And I think for everyone, they should start with the end in mind, as hard as it is sometimes, but think about what your, your vision is. Uh, so I've got one last question, which I often ask people, uh, and you've already mentioned one great book, but if you had to give people advice on one great book you've read that, that might change people's lives or do something different for them, what book would come to mind for you? 
Yeah, it's such an easy one for me. Um, and and uh, I don't know if it's regularly recommended on this podcast, but Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel yeah. Kahneman, yeah. Um, which is a, it's a psych, psychologist who won the Nobel Prize in Economics uh, along with his sort of co-conspirator. Um, he, it's his life work in, in, in book form and I don't know anybody I've recommended it to who hasn't come back to me afterwards and said that changed the way I think about thinking. Mm-hmm. It's a great book. I've listened to it on Audible. Uh, I still have the word heuristics in my mind whenever I think about Daniel Kahneman. Uh, and interestingly, last week when I was with my, uh, my good friend Dan, uh, Don Monkhouse, we, uh, we, we had a, a talk from a, a guy called Nick Marks. And Nick uh, claimed to have had a, a discussion with Daniel Kahneman about philosophy and uh, uh challenged his judgment on a number of things so it's great to hear Daniel Kahneman's book come out for for a second time in a week in a very different context so uh, thinking fast thinking slow I think is a a very good book choice for today thanks very much I just if I can just one anecdote from Daniel Kahneman that I heard him say on a podcast and he was asked uh, you know now that you you know you're the forefather of behavioral uh, psychology and behavioral economics so that must mean you're really good at avoiding the pitfalls and Daniel Kahneman said in his very typical way if you've heard him speak you know he said oh no 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 he said at best I can spot when I've done it wrong a little sooner than I could 40 years ago. Lovely. I love it. A little sooner than I did 40 years ago. Love it. All right, great. Great way to end. Thank you. Alistair, it's been a pleasure to talk to you again. I think there's more we could talk about. I'd love to come back and talk to you about family constitutions for another podcast. I think that's a, a subject that when we, uh, when we get out of the pandemic mess, I think people should be thinking further to the future about how they can manage their wealth long term. But thank you. It's been a fascinating conversation. I've enjoyed it. Lots of subjects to talk about there. And um, I hope this will be of value to listeners. And listeners, obviously, we'll put show notes into the, uh, the documents below uh, with reference to the, the two books mentioned here, Atomic Habits by James Clear and Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Uh, so you can pick up those if you want on your favorite bookseller. Uh, thank you, Alistair Walker. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you. So that concludes this episode of Sparks. Thanks for listening. We're always looking for ideas on how to drive this podcast forward. So if you've got comments, please leave them via a review of our show, along with your rating, or send us an email to sparks at avmconsult.com.